Hello, I'm Lawrence, and welcome to part two of our review of 2021, and this time, it's the worst of the year. Explosions, capes, horrible horror, we get everything off our chest about the films that really boiled our blood in 2021. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. So, welcome back. Obviously, with the good comes the bad, uh, reflections, uh, something, something, dichotomy. These are going to be the bad ones, Ying okay? Yin and yang. The yin and yang, yeah, that's what... You know, obviously, you know, I hate to spread negativity. Uh, that's not why I started this podcast. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> what am I saying? Of course I love to be negative! Because shit films are made every year, and they deserve a fucking slamming. And that's what we're going to do now. The, the films we're going to talk about now deserve what they're going to get, because, you know, they certainly made a hell of a lot more money than any of the films in our best of the year, so, you know... They can take it. They They can can take take it, it, believe me. No one cares. They're big enough, they're dumb enough to take it. They really are. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, Again, my top three aren't in any particular order. Um, Sam's is he's going from three to one, from his um, number three worst to his second worst, and then his worst worst. Um, in the previous episode, um, I went first, so Sam's going to go first in this one, and we're going to ping pong uh, be- between one another. Yeah, so as I said, this is my third worst film of the year, and uh, it's a film that we did talk about in a previous podcast, and it's Willy's Wonderland, which is a Nicolas Cage film. He's a drifter whose car breaks down in a small town, and he's forced to clean Willy's Wonderland a defunct amusement family park that is inhabited by evil animatronic characters. Uh, and yeah, this is it. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? Yeah, so um, I actually hated this. <laughs> I I was just I didn't know what to expect really. I mean, there's this cult of Cage where people like to go watch him do crazy stuff. He's an incredibly entertaining, bombastic actor, and he, yeah, and I, I think that's fine. I can understand. There are certain films of his, like in his massive, massive uh, filmography, that are ridiculous and entertaining, but they are still well made. And Willy's Wonderland isn't. It's just clearly like someone's got into a room and they thought it'd be really funny if Nicolas Cage fought animatronic kids' characters. And it's not fun. It's just really, like, dumb and pointless. And the whole time I just felt, you know, this is just made for the cult of Cage. These are made for the fans who will see him in anything and say that it's, it's absolutely hilarious and he is the greatest. Well... You know he's better. He's better than that. Like he's he's a lot better than that. He's he's chosen to be in more interesting, obscure films over the years. And again, I think when we were talking about Willy's Wonderland, we were talking about uh, Mandy and Color Out of Space. Yeah, really great films. Both like fantastic horror films. And this isn't. This is just a massive disappointment. It's full of loads of cliches. There when he's not in it. It revolves around the kids of the town. Oh, when I say kids, I mean like the teenagers of the town. Yeah, and they're trying to help him, you know, beat this curse of the of the uh, you know the evil amusement park, which is kind of like on a burial ground or whatever it was. Um, and they're all terrible. 
and there's like no charisma, and there you know there's comedy moments with with that group, and it's just it just doesn't doesn't hit any sort of notes for me. Um, I I really really hated it. Yeah, it's uh it's awful. I think it was a fun concept, uh, executed horribly. There was nothing thrilling or charismatic about anything. Like Nicolas Cage couldn't make this concept work and if he couldn't make this work then no one could but really it's just bad filmmaking it's just really bad filmmaking like none of the altercations between any of the monsters was 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 exciting or 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 horrifying or fun in any way it was just everything was like so drab it felt like it felt like such a chore to get through i mean i wouldn't have put it as one of my worst of the year but i mean it, it, it's it certainly fails in everything it's set out to do, and I mean, I, I almost feel like it would have taken less effort to make this good. <laughs> like I, I almost am impressed by the fact that they managed to fuck up like a fun concept like this. Yeah, really, really bad. And um, what I will say is that I saw another Nicholas Cage this film here called Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um, and that's set in Samurai Town, where uh, Nicolas Cage has to get one of the governor's granddaughters. The governor is this kind of dictator of the town. He has to go get one of his uh, granddaughters, and actually they're called his granddaughters, but I think they're his concubines. Um, and they, he has to go get them back from the ghost land, which is sort of this apocalyptic setting run by crazed criminals. And it's as batshit as it sounds. Mm. Um, I mean, and again, that's not Colour Out of Space, that's not Mandy, that's not high up on these kind of new wave Nicolas Cage films, but there is kind of something just magical about it, and yeah, it is kind of very hallucinogenic in a way, but there's certainly a lot more going on and, and interesting than there is in Willy's Wonderland, but the people of IMDb don't agree with me because uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland got a 4.2, and uh, Willy's Wonderland got a 5.5. So, <laughs> I mean, 5.5... It, it's it, low. It's, it's low, but even that's a generous. I'd take mm. I'd take at least another... Yeah, I'd, t- I'd take two or three off that. Maybe take five, just give it a point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess maybe uh, for everything that hits, there's got to be something that misses. Uh, maybe... Uh, this year will be a bit better for him because you've got the the ultimate cult of cage film where Nicolas Cage is playing himself later on in the year. But yeah, there's so many great cage films to pick from. Please just avoid this one. He's not trapped in here with them. They're trapped in here with him. It's birthday time. I enjoy a man a few words. <laughs> okay, so what's uh? First up on your worst of the year? Uh, well, first up on my list is Justice League, the Snyder Cut, uh, or colloquially called the Snyder Cut. Uh, so there was a, a movie a few years ago called uh, the Justice League released. A little movie. A little movie, which about the DC superheroes, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, although, of course, at, at this point, Superman is dead. He died in a previous film, uh, which we don't talk about because uh, that was also terrible. Uh, but the, uh, he died, and in a, in a world without Superman, a new threat from uh, outer space is coming to try and destroy the world. So the uh, heroes of Earth, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Aquaman, The Flash, uh, Cyborg, and Batman uh, must all club together to try and find a solution 
to save planet Earth. Now, this film was released, very difficult production. It was originally directed by Zack Snyder, but for really uh, horrible, devastating, you know, personal issues, uh, he had to leave the the production, which was fair enough. But uh, since the response to Justice League, which was the big team-up movie, uh, was so negative, uh, a lot of people kind of clubbed together, a lot of fans, and they managed to petition, uh, you know, Warner Brothers enough uh, for them to do uh, reshoots and give Zack Snyder some some space and, and all the footage to cut his preferred version of it, which runs at four hours and two minutes long. Um... Yeah, so here's a little clip. I'm building an alliance to defend ourselves. How do you know your team's strong enough? If you can't bring down the charging bull, then don't wave the red cape at it. Zack Snyder's Justice League, or the or the Snyder Cut, is a particularly interesting and unique kind of disaster. A brief bit of background, there are two big superhero companies in the world. There's Marvel, who have Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain America, uh, and the X-Men. DC have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, okay? They've always been at odds with one another. But um, the, the sad truth of it is, is DC has pretty much been following what Marvel does, you know, a few years too late, uh, and trying to imitate their success. And that's exactly what DC had to do with the when the Marvel movies were so big. DC had to release their own ones. Uh, they had to get their own creative teams together, but none of them really worked. And it kind of culminated in Batman Super versus Superman being a disaster. Justice League, which was really empty and bland, and then finally they've got this, which is you know this four-hour cut of someone's big team-up superhero movie. And I, I think it's almost a pinnacle of this kind of misjudged, sludgy series. Uh, like, it's it, it's kind of like someone had a really bland, empty sculpture, and then there's just this, this madman that starts sticking random bits onto it until it resembles some kind of, like, Frankenstein's monster of hammy superhero cliches and dark and gritty camera work and pointless story points that go nowhere and just endless fan service and it was just a horrible idea you cannot polish a turd justice league and almost every part every one of the dc universe films that have been released in the past few years have been turds and this is almost the kind of the the the, the pinnacle the super super turd a four hour long like cut of something that was never good in the first place that just proves more more than anything that this this entire series needs to be shut down and rebooted and dc and warner brothers need to go back and think about not what are they going to do to copy marvel but what are they going to do to to make dc films their own but you know they didn't do that instead they released this horrible like ugly overlong disastrous mess of a, of a superhero team-up, and it's just... I know that there's that cliche of, like, watching a car crash in slow motion, but this really is like watching a car crash in slow motion, because it's a bad film, elongated. Yeah, I mean, I think Zack Schneider had every right to go back and have a go at it. Yeah, I'm glad he did it. Because, obviously, what happened to him during that production was horrible. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of his baby anyway. Like, I mean, he was the first one to kick off this um, DC series with Man of Steel 
And so I think he kind of wanted to see it through to the end. But um, I haven't seen uh, the Schneider Cut. I did see Justice League. Uh, did you? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I went to see Justice League. And I, it was quite clear from there that there was no way you could you could fix that. It was just, you know, it was, it was bad plotting. It was bad script. Um, the CGI wasn't very good at all. Uh, completely forgettable. A villain. Yeah, there's nothing, and there's nothing unique about and, and anyone. You know, in that no, no, film. actually, just forgettable characters. Like, yeah, forgettable, again, horrible. Like, I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, Henry Cavill, Superman, uh, Ban Affleck's Batman were just were really badly developed anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just if, if if Zack Schneider had managed to save that somehow, then that it would have been a minor miracle. But um, yeah, from what you're saying, it just sounds like an even. Is it is it worse than Justice League then? Yes. Yeah. It's worse than That's Justice incredible. League. It's and I know that and and I think that there's a lot of people that are kind of begrudging to to say that it's worse than Justice League because this is a chance for a filmmaker to actually put out the version of the film that he wants. It is it is worse sometimes to give someone this creative freedom. I mean, I think Zack Snyder is a really mixed bag of a of a filmmaker anyway, and I think to give him such free reign with this already jumbled mess of of bad stuff is just a was a recipe for disaster and it really was at the end of the day i think all the dc films in their own shared universe have been such a disaster and i think it's quite clear that the that the that the dc higher-ups know that this hasn't worked and are just trying to squeeze every last blood out of this stone until they can just reboot the whole thing, which I'm pretty sure they're going to do this year. Well, hopefully it will come to an end then. Hopefully there will be like a yeah. reboot. There'll be a, like a, yeah, there'll be a rethink of the franchise because there's always going to be potential in those superheroes. Of course. I mean, I, I think, again, DC have had far more success with their standalone films like um, Joker or like, you know, the, the Dark Knight trilogy than, than anything, you know, in a shared universe. Uh, but, I mean... Uh, if you want to listen to me talk uh, more about this, by the way, um, <laughs> if you're not sick of it already, uh, then you can listen to uh, Chris and Lee's Failure to Communicate, which is, uh, and we, I did a podcast with them earlier this year where we talk more about it. But yeah, this is dreadful. I'm hoping that 2022 is going to be the end of the DC Universe as we know it, and they can just move on to better and brighter things, and hopefully the Batman is good. That's their next standalone thing. It's a new Batman film. I think it looks great. I'm really excited for it. Let's hope that's better and we can we can start again and you know start seeing you know good DC films again. They said the age of heroes will never come again. It will. It has to. So uh what's next on your list. Well, my second worst film of the year that I saw was Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Which is also the next one on my list, so I guess we're doing this together. Well, yeah, we might as well. We're going to have some crossover at some point. Yeah. Um, and it just turns out that it's <laughs> it's, it's this. Well, I uh, guess... The, this piece of work. I, in these lists, I am trying to not have too much crossovers, because it's it's more entertaining to hear each other's opinions. But yeah. it, it's hard when there's something that's this big of a piece of shit for it not to somehow get a, a crossover. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think it was ever going to be good because the first one wasn't good either. I mean, it financially did very, very well, and so did this one. I mean, this was actually made on quite a modest budget of $110 million, which oh. if you think that some superhero films now will get up closer to $200 million, well, they've actually kind of made this like fairly cheaply, and it's gone on to make five times that amount. 
so <laughs> it has proved a hit with audiences, but yeah, oh, it's just absolutely dreadful. It's a mess. I'll um, just go over the story. It's, uh, so Tom Hardy is back as Eddie Brock, who is stuck with this alien symbiote Venom. Uh, Brock is invited to San Quentin to speak to Cletus Cassidy, a serial killer who reveals to Brock where some of the many people he murdered are buried. On his execution day, he bites Brock, and therefore gaining some of Venom's DNA, and becomes Carnage, a rival symbiote um, that is born within Cassidy, and he, go- and he goes on a rampage. Yeah. Or to cause Carnage, yeah. uh, as, the, as the title goes. Eddie Brock, I want to give you my story. People love serial killers. Please, why me? What's mine? It's yours. And what's yours? It's mine. Part of what makes this film really bad for me is that it's very, very slapstick and camp. And it just feels like maybe when they were making this, they were like, let's let's just go for it. Like, let's just do what we want. Like, we'll become even more outrageous and almost bizarre, even more bizarre than the first one was. Mm. And I'm not quite sure how much Tom Hardy really wants to come back to do this because, yeah, he's doing... I remember when he said for the first one, he kind of channeled this uh, Conor McGregor kind of style energy. So, someone who was kind of a little bit unbalanced and aggressive. And he's kind of, you know, up that performance by about uh, two or three by this point. What a load of shite, though. What a load of shite. Like, I've, I'm not a big MMA person. I know Tom Hardy is, and I think that's probably why he wanted to tr- channel Conor McGregor. There is nothing about Conor McGregor in Eddie Brock or Venom. There is absolute... That is such bollocks. Like, Conor McGregor is like a kind of arrogant, like, showman... Um, always like pushing his opponents and trying to aggravate them and get inside their heads. Venom isn't like that at all. Yeah, Ven- Venom's you know Eddie Brock and Venom are supposed to both be losers from their own planets. They're an odd couple. Like Venom wants to eat everyone and he's aggressive. Eddie Brock is a journalist who's sort of still got a candle lit for a for, for a fiance. Like none of, no, that's got nothing to do with Conor McGregor. It's got no, it's, it's such bollocks. I guess that's kind of um, odd couple relationship is. He's uh, presented to us like within the first couple of scenes, but yeah, I think that's kind of was meant to be. That's kind of where the slapstick comedy comes in, and none of that for me worked at all. It just kind of just was a bit misjudged, really. Um, and I don't think even like Tom Hardy in this role is particularly comfortable either. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just, I mean, again, this is from the coming from the first film where I don't think he really suits the role at all, and then obviously we've got another outing with him playing this character and. Yeah, it's just it's just even worse than than the first one. It's just a lazy, cliche-ridden snorefest. I mean, it's just it's it's almost like paint by numbers second superhero film kind of stuff. There, list of cliches includes like like we're not so different, you and I, Carnage or Cassidy says to Venom slash Brock. At a certain point, it's the kind of like, do I want to be this superhero anymore? Like questioning their identity. You know, they you know the first one's about them, lear- you know, learning to accept the identity. The second one is like, actually, do I want to kind of give this up? And so it's just just the same. It's it's just like no one put any effort into this, and there's there's nothing more clear as well than the people on screen. I mean, I should have been drawn to Woody Harrelson's Carnage and Venom, but both of them are just like, don't care, and are just phoning it in. Um, You know, I I don't blame them. I think the thing as well that's kind of baffling about this as well is that the first Venom was also a piece of shit, uh, but it made an ungodly amount of money because... Tom Hardy. I mean, everybody's in love with Tom Hardy, which I understand. He's a, he is a wonderful actor, but I mean, 
That's just no this excuse. This is beneath him. This is very, this is absolutely beneath him. Uh, to make something so cardboard and wooden, I mean, it just contributes to where we are with superhero films at the moment. It's, it's really, really sad. But, you know, it could get even worse. This year, we're getting Morbius. Jared Leto is um, being a sort of C-list Spider-Man villain in his own film, also like a bit dark and edgy, but uh, also looks like a massive piece of shit. It can't so, be worse than Venom 2. Um, it can't be worse than Venom 2. Let's see. You know, I'm sure we'll get to do an episode about it, won't we? You'll look forward to that. Oh, oh shit! Oh, where are you going? That is a red one! You need to come out right now. I will let you eat everybody! Promise! I promise! Oh, yeah! Yeah, I suppose you should, uh, maybe you should go again, since we sort of lined up on that. Yes, yeah, so, my worst film of the year, a film that somehow managed to surpass Venom 2 in terms of being just an absolute piece of shit, is uh, is Red Notice. Um, <laughs> Red Notice was released on Netflix with Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot. Uh, Reynolds plays Nolan Booth, who steals one of Cleopatra's free eggs. He is hunted down by special agent John Hartley, who finally catches him, only for the egg to then be stolen by the bishop played by Gal Gadot. Uh, the next day, Hartley is framed for the Eggers' disappearance and is thrown into the same Russian jail cell as Booth. They plot their escape and go to hunt down Bishop. And uh, here's a clip. She's going to steal Cleopatra's eggs. They're priceless. If we catch her together, I can clear my name and I'll help you become the number one thief in the world again. Lift with your neck. Even if I did partner up with you, you still only have one brain. What's the plan, son of a... So I think it's going to be difficult for me to describe why I hate this film so much. I guess maybe it was just so corporate. It just felt like a film that has been put onto Netflix. They don't need to do anything. All the actors need to do is just to show up and all be kind of slightly, like, or basically just be themselves, really. And I just think the fact that you have a film that has absolutely no characters, no good dialogue, no good story, and the fact that you have just got, like, Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot just all basically doing the same results they've done before. Mm. It doesn't really feel like you're watching a new film. It's almost like a patchwork of other films that you've seen before and just completely thrown together with this disregard for for anything, really. It's just almost just like, oh, well, this is what you want. There you go, you know. You're here to see Ryan Reynolds be sardonic and, and over the top and you've come to see Dwayne Johnson, you know, punch people and jump out of airplanes and you've come to see Gal Gadot be, you know, sexy and... And, you know, do do a certain action scenes. And it just, it's, I don't think they've made this for the love of films. I think they've made this just so they can earn a lot of money. The film can make a lot of money, which it did, because now we're going to get two sequels. And they can just go off and do something else and make another film with, like, complete disregard for, for its audience. Part of the reason it tells me that they have this kind of disregard is because it's so lazy. Like, I feel like most of this film is just green screen. It's like they couldn't even be bothered to go to a location. They couldn't even be bothered to do a a scene for real. It all had to be in a studio. It was shot probably with all these like with all these actors living like a life of luxury. It's like, oh no, we don't want them to actually get any proper acting. We don't want them to work hard for their money. We just want them to have a good time. Just turn up and just, you know, don't take it seriously. And I just think it's just that 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 just really just frustrates me. And it's you know, as a film fan, it's not something I want to see. I want to like I want to see actors and I want to see filmmakers strive for um, some sort of originality. Mm. And I just think this is the least original film I've ever seen. It's it's almost like it's almost so forgettable because it is just 
all these free actors just resting on their laurels. Um, and as and you know, shame on Netflix for for I think it, I, I think Netflix saved the film because I think actually this was shot during the pandemic. It had to stop because obviously uh, like uh, filmmaking was was shut down. Um, and Netflix came on and saved it, put some money into it because they can then um, they can show it. And I got to the end of this film just and I just felt kind of bereft of of any sort of joy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> that sounds so, that's, that's, that sounds almost morbid. Yeah. Like, like, kind of sapped you of that. I completely agree. I mean, I think there's a couple of, there's, there's a couple of things that really, really bother me about Red Notice. I mean, I guess, I, I guess one of the things is that we now exist in a, a time where streaming is king and, Perhaps people are watching more films than they ever did before, but in in many ways, Red Notice represents the nadir of of films for me, the absolute low point in this new era of streaming, because I think it's designed with three of the biggest movie stars ever who come in and do nothing new, but are just themselves. They're not the characters. They are Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, and Gal Gadot, and it's designed for people to have on in the background while they browse a social media thing and they just go, oh, yeah, it was just a bit of fun. We watched it with the with the missus. Yeah, it was quite funny. And then you can just feel your brain just turn to mulch as you can't, like, discern if, if this film is good or not. It's just noise in the background. And I think there's something really, really horrible about watching a film like that. Um, I think the other element for me is that I'm a big fan of action cinema and I'm particularly a big fan of the kind of the odd couple setup. I just think that's a dynamic that whenever I think of the my favourite uh, big uh, blockbusters there's always that clash of personalities somewhere, somewhere in there like two people that uh, don't really get on but have to work together and form a kind of relationship out of it it's just it just when it works my god does it work so so well all my favorite big movies kind of have that element but red notice has that as well but it's completely sapped of any energy or any charisma there's nothing in there that i love about that matching up i i never believed in there in Ryan Reynolds and The Rock's relationship. There was no spark. There was nothing entertaining about watching those two. It was just um, uh, a drag as they moved um, from like wooden green screen action sequence to action sequence. The script wasn't funny. None of it was entertaining. The whole experience is like kind of drinking cold chicken soup. So, yeah, uh, we were basically saying we're at a stage where people are making films but for them not to be really watched yeah because actually like their phone is the main viewing experience and then red notice is just for something in the background because that would make sense to me because they just haven't tried at all with this mm. and it, that could be the sense that it's just like we know people aren't going to take this seriously so why should we take it seriously and it's just that that complete hatred for the people that they're making the film for it's it's just well, it's it's a, it's it's a contempt. It's, it's a contempt for filmmaking. Yeah, it's a contempt for, for every the, the whole reason that I'm making this podcast is because I believe in 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 film as an amazing medium to convey so many different things and so many different experiences, so many beautiful ideas and ways that you can connect with, uh, you know, your world and your universe and stuff. And then like something like Red Notice comes along it's elevator music that's what it is it's 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 to it's to music what elevator music is and that's 
you know, that's so infuriating to a pretentious film twat like myself that, yeah, it's. It, I, I'm really glad we got a chance to just get this off our chest. It's a piece of shit. If you haven't watched it yet, please, please don't be tempted to put it on on, like, some lazy Wednesday night. It's really not worth it. Are you kidding me? What? This is hard! Y'all remember me? You're trying to beat me. That's the idea. Are you not entertained? Um, so the final film that I want to talk about, I guess this is a bit of a cheat, um, because the film that I want to talk about is every fucking Marvel movie that was released this year. Fuck the fucking lot of them. That's a lot. Yes, it is. Um, there were four films, uh, Marvel films released this year. There was The Eternals. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. Spider-Man No Way Home. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I thought I could change my name. Start a new life. But I could never escape his shadow. And Black Widow. At some point we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. Look, honestly... This is a cheat. You have to pick one. This is a cheat and I have to pick one. Yeah. All right. I mean, the thing is, though, like, Spider-Man No Way Home is not on that level. No, it isn't. No, but it's... It, uh... So you can take that one out for a start. No, it, no, you know, you know, no, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this. Because, look, look, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you are just sick of hearing me rant about Marvel films or something. Me and Sam have had this conversation so many bloody times. But it's just that this... This entity keeps on going on. And okay, yes, you're right. Out of those four films, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home, although it had the same problems as every other Marvel movie, maybe was slightly better because even I was taken in by some of the nostalgic clip showness of it. But, I mean, come on, even that is feels pretty lazy. When they're at the point where they're just like, we're going to try and get people in like bums on seats by saying hey do you remember all these other versions of spider-man that used to be around let's let let's chuck them all together also i guarantee no one remembers the lizard from the first amazing spider-man film apart from me and a, a few other like geeks okay so like i bet every, i bet there were loads of people going like who the fuck is that lizard thing and where where was he from but okay yeah all right it wasn't so bad i do quite like tom holland so you know what it's not so bad shang chi wasn't like diabolical i mean it certainly wasn't the the martial arts film that people were pitching oh, look, this is your list within a list this is a it's list like, within a list it was you've, like, had your, you've got your worst of the year but then you're <laughs> like you've got your the worst of the marvel films within and like yeah yeah i suppose it is a list within a list so maybe this is cheating i'll try and justify it okay give me a bit of leeway on this your honor okay well no we've already well you've already taken out spider-man you didn't you've just Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. Bad. okay so right. taking those two out okay Okay, so um, Black Widow uh, was is probably the next one because it's uh, again it's just actually similar to to, to to some of the others we've talked about. It's just this kind of uh, lazy, empty, like completely run out of ideas, just recycling the same look and the same feel of everything. 
Um, but like, I think worse is the Eternals. I think okay, to, yeah. that's a real piece of shit. Let's focus on that. All what right. Is that? The Eternals uh, really doesn't work. I mean, it's basically the story of the superheroes before there were superheroes. It's like these um, aliens uh, that were sent several thousand years ago to come and uh, to come and protect humanity from badder aliens. It's got a cast of faces that you like might recognise from various things, and and also Angelina Jolie, who's like a a bona fide movie star. But I mean, it's really really long. Um, really, really dull, and the concept of like all these like kind of eternal aliens being around is explored very, very poorly and in a very boring way. No, no one really wants to be there, and everyone seems like completely sapped of any kind of charisma or energy, which is maybe the one thing that seems to give marvel a kind of you know just about keep marvel going for me is when there are those odd moments where the charisma and the kind of some kind of joy tries to get through and like reach me but eternals is kind of completely sapped of that yeah the reason i say like every marvel movie is is my one is is i just i think this year just made me give up on the whole thing i think this really i mean i don't know if i'm gonna keep watching them um, I kind of watched them out of a kind of completionist sense. Like, I, I know that they're... You've come this far. I've, I, I feel like I've come this far, and I know that a lot of you are going to think that, that, you know, if you hate this, you should just stop watching it. And maybe you're right, and maybe I'll get onto this in a, a little bit later, but, like, I, I think maybe re- this year just really made me give up on Marvel films. Uh, they're completely indistinguishable, forgettable, and slowly becoming less and less gripping as they just try and employ, you know, everyone in existence on TV and in Hollywood, and they just scrape the barrel of what they think will be popular. The fan base of Marvel, to me, feel like the last members of a dying cult, just more and more desperate to justify why this far should go on. If, if we haven't made it clear already, I mean, the broad point of this is that all the special effects look the same, or the sense of humour is exactly the same in all of them. The films are only really concerned with creating this universe of linking things together. They're not really concerned with making a good film anymore. Yeah, with themes and, you know, you know and, it's, and... and Yeah, and with no, nothing like that. None of the things that, that can uh, make a, um, a superhero film good, let alone make a film good you know and and it's getting worse i feel like this year like watching something like the eternals where it's clear that that no one wanted to be there it's starting to feel like every single person uh on a marvel film from uh, in front and from behind the camera probably is just sees this as a kind of summer job at mcdonald's like this is you know and i know that maybe hollywood has always been like that i mean there's people always you know uh, sell their souls to you know get ahead. They're in a piece of shit, so they can they can make the good thing that they really want to do. But it just feels like so much more obvious with Marvel, or maybe Marvel just feels like this giant behemoth. It's just not going away. It just seems to be sucking up everyone and everything, and just constantly putting out this you know, the same bland stuff. I mean, there's just so much of it. I mean, if they released one every few years, maybe I'd be more forgiving, but there were four, Sam. There were four just this year, and they're going to keep on making this bland stuff. And it's just horrible. I just, I I just want to, I want to get back to enjoying uh, this kind of stuff, and I and I just and I and I and I really just can't, and that's why it's every Marvel film. You know, I feel like Marvel movies are becoming more and more damaging to the film industry, and I just really want them to stop. 
And I just, you know, honestly, I wish everyone would just admit that these things just aren't really very good anymore. And they, they're only going to get worse. Also, Eternals. I, I'm not sure which, which is the worst cameo. At the end of Red Notice, when Ed Sheeran turns up, or at the end of Eternals, where Harry Styles turns up. Is Harry Styles as Harry Styles? No, it's, well, it's not. It's Harry Styles as another Marvel character. No, Again, that's better than Ed Sheeran appearing as Ed Sheeran. That's Again, true. It's like, we're not even going to give him right. He's just going to turn up as himself. It might turn out that Harry Styles is a good actor. I don't know. Um, he was not Dunkirk, so, you know, let's, let's, let's see what happens. But yeah, Ed Sheeran... Turning up as Ed Sheeran to to be really irritating is is yeah, at the end of a really irritating film is not great. So maybe that's worse. Oh God, yeah, Marvel, awful. Right. Well, that's it. Glad we got through that. That felt therapeutic, but also painful. Yeah. I think so. It was a bit, it is a little bit painful, but I think maybe that's what therapy's supposed to be. I actually wanted to say that like actually one of my favorite things I've ever done on this podcast is last year, which I did a bit about kind of what I'd learned from 2020 and I had this real optimism for new creators and new opportunities and everything, but I feel like when I was kind of reflecting on 2021, especially while writing my worst of the year, I kind of feel my message is a bit more pessimistic. Normally, uh, most years, I see something big and thrilling uh, that really captures me. But um, almost everything, there's been nothing really to speak of. There's, or there's been very little to speak of in the action genre, uh, which has kind of been a shame. With the exception of like Kate on Netflix, which is pretty good. There's just been a slew of really bad straight to um, streaming action films there's also been bigger things like red notice and fast nine um which have just been awful soulless you know explosion fests you know and as a lover of the action genre i want to see less of those and much better action films and finally of course the superhero film there's just this continuing deterioration of the superhero film which was always a genre that was really important to me and something that i always really liked and and i'm just seeing that kind of less and less honestly i take risks all the time hoping that some genre piece or something big and loud and entertaining and fun will deliver but unfortunately 2021 it just didn't you know now more than ever i think moving forward in 2022 you have to seek out something more interesting i think it's really important that you you know i know that all of us like all of us kind of feel sometimes like oh i just want to i just want to watch something that's a bit of fun or anything but it's it's not really as taxing as you'd think to find something like worth your time and focus on it for for two hours or ninety minutes or something, and you're you're going to get something really good out of it. Even on streaming services, I guess. Even on yeah. Prime or, or especially Netflix. on 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 those things. I know that those streaming services seem like behemoths, but they they do release interesting content. And they do give good you know interesting content a chance. You know, it's not actually that difficult to find something with some meat on it. I'm not for a moment saying that you should only ever watch films that make your head hurt or quote-unquote heavy films, you know? Firstly, it's not binary. There's endless examples of good quality that's also entertaining. And secondly, we all like a bit of trash sometimes. You know, that's fine. That's totally cool. But what I'm afraid of is that, that, you know, I think that the more of those big films that I saw and the more that I feel that a lot of people that I run into 
only watch those films. And and I think that's the thing. It really is some people only watch that stuff. It just feels like it's going to turn your brain to mulch. And then you're not going to really enjoy anything. And then you're going to disengage from cinema. And it's just, and then they're just going to make more of the mulch. And it's just going to get worse. Well, that's I, an eternal struggle, though. Like, trying to, people, yeah, trying to mean, turn people away from the big films into the... I think, what, uh, like, into smaller independent films. But to be honest, I think what you're, you're craving is just for a big film to do something a bit interesting. Well, yeah. And I, mean, I think that is it. Maybe that's something else I'm hoping for from 2022. Which might sound a bit like I'm kind of trying to have my cake and eat it with, with this message. But no. I, 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 re- I really do think that it's important for all of us to go out and seek the interesting things. Uh, you know, it's like exercise and drinking less and eating right and everything, okay? There was, uh, or actually what, what we learned from another round is a, a drink now, now and again is okay. So, you know, a bit of balance there. But, you know, we all beat ourselves about not doing these things. But, but you know, when we do do it, you, you, you are going to feel like so much better. But maybe, yeah, that's the that's the thing is that, from 2022, I have kind of hopes that big films can be brought back from the brink. You know, you've got a few action movies that I'm really kind of interested in, like um, Havoc and Extraction 2, The Next Mission Impossible, Always a Reliable Series. I'm basically pinning all of my hope on superhero films onto The Batman, uh, which is fitting because Batman's been a big presence in my life ever since I was a teenager. So it's, you know, kind of fitting that that maybe he could come back and make the genre good again. You know, there have been some outliers, though, this year. Again, maybe that's one of the reasons Palm Springs, I liked it so much, because it was actually a film that I could see everyone liking, that I actually thought, this is worth your time. Actually, also, Halloween Kills was was really great as well. I, I, I guess I feel like this year, there's been quite a few of the, the kind of prestige films that I've actually missed, but I think I've learned this year that maybe it's best to not put off the hard things you can make time for them and you're going to feel a lot better once you do. You know, maybe 2022 is going to be better for big films, but maybe we could all make a bit of an effort to try and watch something with some meat on it and and not just keep consuming this mulch. Yeah, cinema is always reinventing itself in some sort of way. So, I mean, there's always hope for that, you know, we're going to see a filmmaker do something different or, you know, there's going to be a film that's going to appeal to the masses, but it's also going to appeal to the art house as well. Yeah. Um, and and you know, you're right. A lot of films do that, you know. Yeah. Actually, I'd say Nomadland did that last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's a film really that we true. didn't get to talk about, but actually I did think that brought the, the multiplexes and the art house together. So, um, and, and even actually a film that was also on, on streaming services, I believe. Yeah. And you are right. This is the eternal battle of cinema. Cinema, right, it's it, whatever decade. I don't think that this is a, this is necessarily different, but maybe it just feels like it's more important to do this than ever. Well, onwards and upwards. Here's to 2022, anyway. Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.